Nice to see you. That way you can see your scripture. So if you would, open to Mark chapter 10. And if you can do two things at once, here's what I want you to do. As you're opening to Mark 10, I want you to think about the nicest person you know. No, don't think about me. There's other nicer people. Okay. No, think about the nicest person you know. They're kind, they're helpful, they're thoughtful, they, they are morally impeccable, they have good family commitment. Just, you got somebody really nice, okay? All right? And, and, and not, no, no, I'm not talking Jesus right now. So if you're thinking Jesus because you're in church, don't think Jesus right now. We'll think Jesus later, okay? The nicest person you know, all right? You got it? Now give them a million bucks, and they're still just as nice, and just as helpful, and just as kind, just as thoughtful. Okay? You have that person? Don't fear it. You have somebody in your head right now. All right? That's the person Jesus encounters in the text today. Very specific, somebody extremely rich and extremely good. Jesus is going to encounter a really rich really good guy. And in the process, this is what I've loved about the gospel of Mark. In the process, we're going to learn a ton about ourselves and a ton about what it means to come to Jesus. So if you're there in Mark chapter 10, follow along with me as I lead us through verses 17 through 22, Jesus encountering a really rich, really good guy. As he, that's Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, which means what? Yeah, it means he ran. No, that's what it says. He ran up to him, which means what? He wanted to get there, right? He wasn't strolling. He was anxious to get in front of Jesus. He runs up to him, and then what's he do? He kneels down in front of him. So you get a picture. The guy is anxious to be there, and humbled to be there. He runs, kneels, and then he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now just pause. Think about this real life. This is what you always hope for. Don't you wish somebody at your work would run up, kneel down and say, tell me how would I get to heaven? That hadn't happened to you? Really? That hadn't happened to you? I would, I'm about to say that never happens, but here's what happened to me. My son, oldest, when he was in middle school, came to me one evening and said, Dad, I really feel like I need to share the gospel with Knack tomorrow. Boy, he lived in our neighborhood. And I was like, well, that's great, Clay, but you, know, you probably just don't want to spring it on him. If the Lord gives you an opportunity, that'd be great, but you don't just jump in. It's not like he's going to say, hey, Clay, how do I get to heaven? So next day, uh, I go that evening, Clay, how'd it go? He said, we were getting off the bus at the stop in the middle of the neighborhood, and Knack turned to me and said, Clay, how do I get to heaven? (laughs) Oh, wise one, that never happens. And and so I'm reading this text, and I thought, how did they even tell my son that it happened in the Bible? The guy literally said, hey, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And so it's kind of what, if you're a person who says, I want to tell people about Jesus, but it's always awkward to get, this, get it started, this is like a sweet, perfect moment. And then Jesus like blows it. He says, good teacher, what, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Only God's good. Well, why are you picking an argument? Come on. And so... Why does Jesus say that of all things? I think he's saying, uh, are you asking as one who thinks I'm a teacher or as one who thinks I'm God? Because you called me good teacher. Which is it, teacher or God? And and folks, don't, don't miss How you approach Jesus makes a huge difference. If you see this is good advice or God's word, that makes a difference. If you see this as a good how-to manual versus divine inspiration, that makes a difference. So Jesus is simply saying, 
are we here as teacher or here, are we here because you think I'm God? Because actually, only God's good. And that's super important to about what's to about to happen here. Uh, only God's good. So Jesus goes on. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father or mother. So uh, what commandments is he talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. So Jesus says to the man, you know them. So let me say to you, do you know them? Do you? Do you know the commandments? All right. Well, which one is this one? Don't murder. <laughs> uh, which one? All right. There's a few confident ones out there. Yes. That's number six. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. What number is that? Good guess. Seven. Do not steal. Eight, we're on a roll. Do not bear false witness. Nine, do not defraud. No. <laughs> That's not even one of the Ten Commandments, people. So how'd that get mixed in there? It was like 9B. That's a subset of lying is defrauding, right? So don't defraud, and then honor your father and mother. That's five, yeah. So, you know the commandments, and he lists six, seven, eight, nine, nine B, and five. And in the Gospel of Matthew, actually, it includes that Jesus said, and you know, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is kind of summing them all up, the horizontal ones together, five through nine, five through ten. So, you know them, and you know what the guy says? <laughs> I not only know them. I have kept all these things from my youth up. Anybody in here can say, me too? Yeah. Nobody. And it's even from my youth up, did he have a rough childhood? No, I think he's saying, for as long as I have known them and taught them, I have kept them. And you know, I could debate that with the dude, I think. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says to the really good, really rich guy, oh, one thing you lack, what? Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. Or is it? But at these words, he, the really good, really rich young guy, was saddened, and he went away grieving. Why? For he was one who owned much property. So can I give you a summary of this one? Here's the summary of this encounter. A really rich, really good guy walks away from Jesus really sad. And that true or false? Yeah. It's kind of sobering. Sobering because... Uh, <clears throat> It's hard for you, especially if you think of the person that I had you think of at the beginning, really nice, really uh, nicest person you know. To think about that person walking away, not walking with, walking away from Jesus. So what happened here in this encounter? Why in the world did this really good guy who riches hadn't ruined him Why do you walk away? Sad. I think the text tells us at least three reasons. First, he walks away because he learned his good life was not going to be good enough to earn heaven. He learns that his good life, and it was good by his own admission, wasn't going to be good enough to earn heaven. Now, did Jesus technically say, you're not good enough? No, he didn't technically say that. What did he say? He said, well, one thing you lack, in other words, way to go in the five, six, seven, eight, nine, but one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. Why does he say that? Well, what's he getting at here? 
I think he's, does, is this in the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Shall have no other gods before me. Which is which? <laughs> Numero uno. That's the first one. From which the rest flow, no other gods before me. And so, Jesus didn't argue with the man regarding five through nine. I think he could have. He didn't. He's gone, okay, but what about one? There you lack. You see, you're good, but you're not, <laughs> you're not perfect. <laughs> you're far from good enough. See, Jesus is exposing and confronting what is written into so much of our, who we are in our human heart. Typically, the natural mind simply concludes when it comes to eternal life, we get what we earn. And we earn it by being the best people we can. Every, almost everybody acknowledges, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. The man comes saying, how do I inherit? And he's there, anxious, I think, to hear why. Because he thinks he's going to get good news. Nobody runs to hear bad news. You ever notice that? Bad news? Uh, I can wait. Good news? Give it to me. So he, think he thinks he's going to get good news. And he thinks he's going to get good news because he's good. Really good. Better than the slackers of us in this room. But Jesus says, well, you lack this. You see, Jesus is confronting that idea that we can gain heaven by what we do. And this will always be the wrestle. When Jesus was crucified, buried, raised, ascended to heaven... Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And the gospel is going out from Jerusalem into other cities. And now not just Jewish people are hearing it, but Gentiles are hearing about Jesus. And they are believing and considering themselves now having believed in Jesus part of the people of God. And were they? Yes or no? By believing in Jesus, did they become part of the people of God? Yes. But the Jewish people said, not so fast. You can believe in Jesus, but you got to do more. And it became such a debate that they held a council in Jerusalem that's recorded in Acts 15. And at core, here was the division. The Jewish people were saying, the Jewish leaders were saying, unless you, Gentiles, are circumcised according to the, call, the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So does a Gentile have to believe in Jesus and keep the law? Well, at least this part. <laughs> to which Peter, verse 10, replies, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples? Don't think Jewish disciples, think Gentile disciples. Why do you put on their neck a yoke which neither our fathers, Jewish, nor we, Jewish, have been able to bear? Don't be confused. He's not saying, hey, we couldn't handle circumcision. Don't make them be circumcised. Peter was circumcised. The Jewish people, that was the mark that were the people of God. So the yoke was not circumcision. What was the yoke that they were not able to bear, nor their fathers able to bear? The gaining heaven by keeping the law. So if we couldn't do it, why are you going to make them? 
It's what Paul, because in the region of Galatia, as the gospel was going forth, the argument was hot and heavy. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Now, again, don't be confused. He is saying, for those of you who are saying, Gentiles, you got to be circumcised then if that's the plan, you don't just to pick, get to pick one. Just like the rich young ruler didn't get to pick five, six, seven, eight, nine, and nine B and skip one. In fact, you don't even get to heaven if you are good with nine of the ten. Here's bottom line what Jesus is confronting in this encounter with this really good guy who you do not expect to walk away sad. He is confronting that if your plan, these are my words, this is not in the Bible if you look for this verse. (laughs) These are my words. That if your plan for getting to heaven is being good, your good must be really good. No. (laughs) Perfect. Always from my youth up, won't do it. And uh, this whole action stuff, just outward action, won't cut it either. It's got to be in your action and in your thought and in your motive. Well, what does every honest person on the planet when they go, if that's the plan to get into heaven, what? 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 Impossible. Impossible. I can't do that. And that is the point. God gave the law to reveal who he was and all of his perfection. And that was intended to, here's what the New Testament says, to be a tutor. Ever had a tutor? The tutor. The, the, the law was to come alongside and to teach you. <laughs> You're not perfect. And if you think you are, you got to look at the whole law, not just the stuff you're good at. It's to bring us to the end of ourselves where the guy was not and to bring us to Christ. See, there's no reason to come to Christ until you get the impossible part. So that we realize we may be justified by not keeping the law, by not being good, not being better than most, but by faith. For by grace, I know you know this, but capture this this morning, friends. Because in, in every heart, including mine, is still that lingering leftovers of, it's about how good I am. Or how bad I am. No, it's by grace that you've been saved. And that's activated through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. The the scripture says it. It's not a result of works. This is what the guy was hearing from Jesus. It's not a result of your works. Why? Because your works will never be good enough. Never. And so, do you sometimes feel like, well, I'm not terrible, I'm good. One of the, the blessings God gave Jackie and I was six kids. And I was a little nervous about the whole preacher and kids part because of what they say about preacher's kids. <laughs> and now that all of our kids are college and older, it's often fun to look back and discuss stuff like who got the most spankings. And it's not much of a long discussion because everybody knows who got the most spankings. 
Not to throw anybody under the bus, but it was the first, for sure. The second got some, but it was mostly because of affiliation with the first. (laughs) He'll be here third hour to uh, defend himself. The other least discussed point is who got the least. Number four. Tommy, our youngest son, got the least. I mean, and if you think, well, you were just getting soft. Not true. Because he had a younger sister who rivaled number one. (laughs) So we weren't getting soft. He was just super, 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 super compliant. And to the best of my recollection, I only spanked Tommy once. And that was when all six of them got it. He was just in the line with the rest of the juvenile delinquents, and we just lined them up. That may be one of my best parenting moments, but he just got the overflow. So, so compliant. But, and uh, he knows I'm sharing this with you, but not super in love with Jesus. Just a good kid. Didn't hate Jesus. Came to church, was very involved. A good kid. Then in high school, we went on a youth retreat where, of all people, his older brother, Will, was the speaker. And Will, because I've heard this many times, Will said this at the retreat. Anything less than perfection is everything less than perfection. Holiness. Though Will would say, no, 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 Dad. It's everything less than holy, holy, holy from Isaiah 6. If you take a drop of imperfection, just a drop, and put it in an ocean of holiness, it becomes the opposite, not just a little less, the opposite of who God is. And you may go, I go, that impacted you? And he said, it dramatically changed what my understanding of my faith. Now, let me give this some perspective. Maybe you haven't had this discussion in your family, and maybe you're going to be freaked out that I say it right now. But we've always had lots of discussion in our family regarding, is it permissible to pee in the pool? (laughs) So I can't believe he said that. (laughs) So we could have the debate right now, and, and the debate in our family goes like this. That's gross. Oh, everybody does it. And it goes on and on. And some feel very strongly about this. But even the strongest person in our family denying that would not argue with, it's okay to pee in the ocean. We never have a fight about that. In fact, that's, that's the people who say it's okay in the pool, that's their argument. You do it in the ocean. Why are we all okay with the ocean? Two reasons. Do you know what else is in that? (laughs) I mean, my bladder is not really making an impact on that. (laughs) Right? Exactly what we think about our sin in this world. It's a big world, and there's a lot of really bad people. You really think my little sin's making an impact? And, and, And to a really good kid... Like Tommy, it was a a two-by-four to the head that a lot of us really good people at Christian Family Chapel that we need to say, uh, our sin is not just a little less than who God is. It's, It's the complete opposite of holy, holy, holy. Because a lot of us come to Jesus feeling pretty good about our morality. We look around, 
we look at the world, we look at the violence, we look at the immorality, and we go, our chances are good. And we're the complete opposite. See, it's confronting in my own ugly heart that I don't really need that much grace. That I can be good enough. And good people, Christian Family Chapel, hear me. You're not good enough. You're the complete opposite of who God is. And you and I deserve as much as everybody else on the planet, the wrath of God. So when I said, Tom, put in your own words, why was this so impactful to you? He said, in short, it left no room for my pride. I realized I needed Jesus just as much as everyone at school that I thought I was so much better than. It gave me an accurate view of myself and an accurate, elevated view of who Jesus is. And it really changed him. He came back from that retreat and engaged with students at his high school in a completely different way than he had before because he saw himself for who he really was, the opposite of God in need of grace. And grace will change you. It'll it'll break that prideful heart that often dwells within us really good people. You see, like in this auditorium and over in South, the world's divided into two groups. Those of us who think we've sinned too much, I can't be forgiven. And those who think I've sinned too little, I don't really need forgiveness. And both are lies. This minimizes the incredible, boundless, infinite grace of God. And this nullifies the cross of Christ. That I need it as much as the people who sit on this side of the aisle of life. We, all of us, need, desperately need a Jesus encounter that breaks our pride and causes us to see ourselves for who we really are and see Jesus for who he really is. And so instead of waiting to the end of the service, we're going to pause now and take the elements of the Lord's Supper because they are the reminder Christ did not needlessly die. I needed him. I needed him. The best people in this room needed him as much as the worst people on the planet needed him. So let's take, guys are going to come and pass the elements. If this is unusual or new to you, there's going to be a tray of crackers. They're simply a reminder of the body of Christ that was broken on a cross to pay for the penalty of my sin and your sin. The cup is a reminder of the blood of Christ that he gave his life to be our payment. As these guys are passing, I want us to to repent of our pride and to honestly, humbly declare, I have one boast, Jesus. That's my only boast. So take a moment and repent of any pride that may have built in your own heart. And then let's declare this before the Lord. I will boast only in the cross where my Savior died for me. Nothing else, no other love goes so far and runs so deep. 
Scripture declares the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our morality is not the determiner for heaven. It's not how you get in. We will only and can only be justified by what Christ has done on our behalf. And so if you're on the side of the aisle, my sins are many, his mercy is more. And if you're on the side of the aisle that my sins are few, his mercy is more. And so are you grateful for Jesus this morning? I'm grateful that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. There is no one godly, not one, only the forgiven. Would you take the gratitude with me? Father, thank you that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, enemies, your son became our savior. Thank you for, Lord Jesus, your obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross, that we would walk in newness of life. Lord, would your grace deflate and annihilate our pride, that we would see ourselves for who we really are and who you really are, holy, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. So there's a second reason a really rich, really good guy went away from Jesus really sad. And it's this. He learned by what Jesus said to him, he learned that he could not follow Jesus 
and also keep the life he loved. Bummer, because that's the deal everybody's looking for. The deal we want is, hey, can I follow you, Jesus? Can I gain your righteousness? Can I gain eternal life and still keep the life I love? And Jesus says emphatically what? No. No, you can't do that. (laughs) Either you bow to me (laughs) or you walk away. You don't get to follow me and keep the life you loved. He simply said, Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, you see, the guy had run because I think he thought he was going to get news. Good news at this point, his heart turns sad and he goes away grieving for the simple reason he owned much property. This is... This is a personification. This puts in real life and flesh what Jesus said in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one or love the other. Isn't that what happened with this guy? Going to hate the one love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't follow Jesus. And this guy couldn't keep the life he wanted. The life he loved. You see, I think we know it in many things in life, but it's just as true with Jesus. Watch. A yes to Jesus is a no to other things. We don't get to say yes to Jesus without saying no to other things. A yes, a yes to my wife is a no to the rest of people, right? It's a yes. A yes is a no. So that's, what, that's what's happening with this guy. Jesus simply says, yes, say yes to me, but a yes to me is a, a no to those things. And the guy goes, oh, I'd like to say yes and yes. This yes is this No. And the man can't say yes because he can't say no. Don't miss that. Because if you're wrestling to say yes with Jesus, all you have to do is answer the question, what can't you say no to? And there you will find your God. That's what Jesus is identifying in the guy's heart. A yes to me is a no to this. And if you can't say no, uh, that's because that's your God. And you don't get to follow me and keep the life you love. So is there something you you are reluctant to say no to as part of saying yes to Jesus? That's what's in this guy's heart. And here, here maybe more than anything else, I want you to see this right now. There is in this text a thought that this guy had that causes him to walk away really sad. Uh, well, here's at the root of his no. It says, it says in the text, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Here's what it could have said. He went away grieving for he was owned by much property, right? I mean, it says he owned it, but clearly it owned him. That's why he couldn't say no to it. But here's the sad part. The guy walked away in my estimation because he thought, I'm going to ruin my life if I follow this guy. I'm willing to follow him as long as he doesn't ruin my life. But I don't want to follow him. It's going to ruin my life. Maybe you've never thought that, but I can tell you with absolute honesty, that was what kept me from saying yes to Jesus for quite a while. It wasn't because I didn't know about him. It wasn't because I wasn't challenged. It was just like uh, there was things that I went, I'd have to say no to and say no to those things would ruin my life. So 
I said no to Jesus. And yes, for, for me at that stage in life, it was a group of friends. Say yes to Jesus would have said no to them. And if I said no to them, that would ruin my life. So I didn't, I didn't have any possessions to sell. But I had some friendships that if I lost, I believed would ruin me. And here, here is, here's what I so desperately want us to see in this text. When Jesus said, one thing you lack, in verse 21, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. The text tells us why he said it. And, and I think maybe we'll miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. If you have a Bible in front of you, look down, please, if you would. In verse 21 of Mark chapter 10, why did Jesus say these things? Yes, yeah, say it. Because he loved him. Isn't that dramatically different than what the man thought? It, when, when he says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, do this, one thing you lack. You see, Jesus was not saying, well, if you got to follow me, you got to be willing to have your life ruined. Actually, Jesus was saying sell because he, he loved him. In other words, that which you're holding on to, that you think if you give up will ruin your life. Actually, if you don't, it will ruin your life. Jesus was not robbing him from something. He was trying to save him from that which would rob him from life as God intended it for him. Man, that's completely different, folks. It, 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 it makes all the difference in the world from which you believe God speaks. Do you genuinely believe that his commands come out of love for you? Do you believe he loves you? Even in the hardest commands, he loves you. That in his commands, he's not ruining you. He is saving you from that which will ruin you. He loved the man. He loved the man enough not to say, well, start with 10% and we can work up. Which is exactly what the vast majority of us would have done. Oh, don't walk away. Come on, hang with me. We can grow into this. He loved the man enough to say to the man what would expose the God of his heart and rob him. And the man took it as, no, <laughs> no, that'll ruin me. No. What, remember Easter Sunday? If you were here, Easter Sunday, what's it profit all? What's it profit a man if he saves all his property, loses his soul? The guy walks away, sad. But what makes me most sad is because I think he falsely thought, it says that he thought it would, I think it's a false thought because the scripture clearly says, this is, don't miss this, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. See, never dissect the commandments of God from the love of God. The love of God is expressed not just in his promises. We love his promises. But the love of God is expressed in his commands. They are not walls to imprison you, but walls to protect you. They're an expression of his love. They are not, what? <laughs> if, if I'm honest, we just need some repentance on that one. Ah, uh, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. Uh, such a burden. <laughs> I know God loves me. 
And this is going to feel like it's going to rip my heart out. (laughs) This is going to be like the prying of the fingers off stuff that is like super precious to me. But I know he loves me. How much? How much does he love you? (laughs) So much that he sent his son. the, The promise of the scripture is he could not love you more. There's no greater expression of love than the one he has already demonstrated in the sending of his son. And his commands are the continuation of his expression. Let us not walk away sad from what he says to our heart this morning. Because we think, man, if I yield my life to Jesus, it's going to ruin me. No. It's going to save you from that which will ruin you. This is a, you can imagine for me, would you do with me? Looking at what's in your life and go, is there anything I'm holding on to? Maybe it's stuff, but maybe it's people. Or maybe it's a future. Maybe it's a relationship that you are holding on to above Jesus. Because you think, ah, it'll ruin me. His commands are not burdensome. And say they weren't always easy. (laughs) But I can say this. They are much easier than the alternative. He loves us. (laughs) See, the, the irony of this passage is He walks away sad, and I want you to walk away with your heart full of joy this morning that you said yes to Jesus, not no. You said yes to him because you went, ah, you love me. I've always thought as your commands as restricting, not as protective. I've always thought of what you said as ruining my life, not not giving me life. I am loved by God, and therefore I love his commands. They're good. They're life. I want to follow him. I wonder if you would just, and very simply, you can use whatever words you want, but just there in the quietness of your seat, bow your head, just you and Jesus right now, and tell him what's in your heart. Are you sorry? Tell him. If you need to repent, tell him. If you're thankful, tell him. If you want to love him more, if you need to let go of something, whatever is in your heart right now regarding his love and what you love, would you talk to him? Lord, I I have walked away before. I don't want to walk away. I want to walk with. Keep walking with. With open hands because of a heart that is fully convinced and a mind that fully embraces. You love me perfectly. You're the best. I don't want to be owned by anything or anyone but you, Lord. Would that be your gracious work in our hearts to the praise of your glory? Would you stand with me and let's declare this to the Lord.
No turning back, no turning back. I am deciding to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Oh, we tweak that song a bit to say that I am deciding because it's, it's not a one-time deal. It's not something I decided at 14. Something I'll decide this afternoon, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, to say yes and no. Believing Christ is my reward. Nothing else will satisfy. If, if we can pray with you in some way, Maybe you're wrestling in your own heart with what you're holding on to or your own questions about gaining heaven. It really would be our privilege to speak with you. We have men and women available always after every service available to talk, to pray together. That's straight out these doors in the back here in North and out the back over in the South Auditorium. Uh, Don't just rush home. If God has spoken to your heart, take the minutes to walk with him with a heart free and don't go home with a heart sad. God bless. Thanks for being here.